Thank you for listening to Room 9, my daddy's podcast. Hope you enjoy. If you would like to help Room 9, please visit their support page. You can listen to Room 9 on your favorite podcast listening platform. Don't forget to visit our Instagram and Facebook page. Please like it. Room 9, if you better yourself, you better the world. Hello, people. It is time for another episode of Room 9. This episode is quite interesting, quite intriguing. It's definitely a first time for me, but I talk with a gentleman by the name of Slash Coleman. He is an author. He had a PBS special called Neon Man and Me that he did for many years. He is just one of the most interesting human beings I've ever had a conversation with. And what he's doing now is called Laughter Yoga. And his website is ilaughforlife.com, or you can go to slashcoleman.com to check out his book, The Bohemian Love Diaries. But he is just, it's fascinating. I've done a little reading and research on how the benefits of laughter are just incredible for your health, for your mind, for, I mean, just so many different things. And he really kind of touches point on it, what he's doing, what he's trying to do. He's a certified laughter yoga instructor. And yes, that is a thing. But he's worked in rehabs. He's worked with a lot of different people in recovery. He's just worked with communities. He's an awesome dude. He's got an awesome heart and an awesome personality. So enjoy this episode. I really appreciate you being here to listen. Show him your support. He's on LinkedIn. He has got a couple different websites. I will leave all the links below. Make sure you check that out and show him some love. And I will be in touch, guys. Talk to you next week. Peace. Obviously, spent some time doing a little researching on you and seeing out what you're all about. And yeah. you are a fascinating human being. Let me tell you, I love. <laughs> I mean, just the Thanks, artistic man. side of you and the you know the poetry side of you. I absolutely, I, I love it. I dig it, and I'm pumped to have oh, a cool, conversation man. with you. Cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I want to obviously kind of get into a, a a little bit of your story and you know kind of where you're at and. There's a lot of things I want to get into you with. My favorite thing about this show is I just keep it a conversation. So we'll kind of let it go okay. where it goes and we'll see. So All yeah, right. where right. you know, what what's your deal? How'd you get to where you're at? <laughs> well, that's a, well, you know, it's funny in recovery I learned I quit asking people like, "Hey, how's it going?" and I broke it down into like hour. I'm like, "How have you been for the last hour?" And that seemed more manageable than like, how are you doing? Like, cause it goes up and down. Like, I remember my mom being like, you know, are you happy? And I, it was such a loaded question. Cause like during an hour, I can be happy and unhappy a million times. So I don't know. I, you know, I, I'm, I think about like, what story do I tell now? And the last story that I told was, you know, about laughter yoga. And for the longest time, it wasn't that, you know, I was a best friend of mine had died. And like, I was doing this one man show about him and giving all the money away. And that was like a nine year story I told. And like, you know, so that's who I was then. And, you know, I kind of like a Phoenix, I like kind of am guided by my heart and I fall into this other thing that I feel like my higher power kind of calls me to do. And as an artist, you know, I come from a family with like eight artists. It's kind of what I was trained to do. You take like an experience in life and you put it in your heart and it comes out an art as art in some way. And I'm never quite sure how long a project will 
how how much longevity it'll have. Like with that Neon Man and Me show I did for mm-hmm. my best friend, that lasted nine years. When I started this laughter yoga thing in 2017, I did it as a one year experiment because I really didn't know how long it lasts. And now I'm on my on my third year. I, I don't know. You're, you you would kind of open it up by saying, you know, I got a lot of moving pieces and yeah, it's kind of true. So I could just jump in and talk about, you know, talk for an hour about any one piece. No, absolutely. I know. I I watched that neon, uh, neon man in me. And that's what that was about. Your best friend who died. Yeah. And just as a doing what I did as an artist, it was kind of like an artistic response to how to try to get my friend back. And um, I just created the show, you know, eight stories about our friendship, a couple songs I played on my guitar. I wrote it for a year, brought in a director and really just wanted to perform it for my community. And it, it took off. I feel like God showed up in the car, picked me up. And for the next nine years, I made my living with it. I raised over a quarter million dollars. As an artist, that's huge. I, I didn't keep any of the money. I just gave it all away. And so I would go anywhere. It ran off Broadway, became a PBS special. It was kind of like I would go into schools and instead of like giving them can- candy bars to sell as a fundraiser, I'd say, sell these tickets to the show. And we'd fill like gymnasiums filled with like thousands of people. And I'd be like, keep all the money. And then I'd go on to the next place. Um, but I really thought that I'd do that, probably do that forever. But then it was like, okay, it's time to 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 move on to the next thing now. And I think that's some of the harder parts, the, the places in between where, you know, during that nine years, I knew who I was. And when after that, it was a little bit of a struggle to figure out who am I without these external validation pieces I have, you know? Yeah, that's always an interesting thing, how we kind of identify with essentially what we're doing almost all the time. Like yeah. when somebody asks you who you are, I mean, that's what you go with. You go with the name your parents gave you. And you go yeah. on with, I do this, I do that, you know, I'm this and that. And that's, I think that's something I really had to kind of dig into in my life was stop identifying myself with everything that is just really, it's impermanent. It's not really who I am as an individual. I know you go into a lot about meditation. I read your one, your one blog that mm-hmm. kind of brought you into the laughter yoga thing. Yeah, yeah, But I mean, meditation was a huge part for me in my life and getting into just being okay with what is and what's going on. And I think that's almost like the curse of creativity. I feel like you have yeah. to constantly move on and you know build into something and need to be doing something and need to be expressing. So I feel like, and here I go already going off tangent, but so <laughs> speaking of like creativity and I've met so many creative people in recovery yeah. and you kind of, Moving forward, you almost feel like, I mean, it's not like a prerequisite for being creative, but you you find so many people who've had something messed up or a rough childhood or something happened to them that caused them to be creative. And yeah. I found like, you know, in creativity, it's hard to be successful as you, you know, like you just said, you know, yeah. you, you were just blown back that you were making that much money because it's hard like to be, do anything creative. I know creative people who are making nothing who should be making yeah. like I'd go you know even some bands in Buffalo I'd pay $50 to go see a band like that yeah, yeah. and I feel like so many people are in recovery and, and even just you know lost in addiction that are creative and all the rehabs I visited never ever touch on people's creativity mm, yeah and it was just yeah. always interesting to me like why aren't we doing more to allow people to kind of express themselves whether it's photography or art or acting, whatever it is, I don't think there's, there's no catalyst to be able to do that. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Cause like, I think there's this like changing of the guard that feels like it's happening. And 
It started to happen last year when all these recovery centers and places that dealt with addiction started asking me to come in, even like, you know, traditional, more like Western doctor's offices who dealt with like addiction and stuff, asking me to come in as a doing to do laughter yoga. And I was just like, I didn't have to show credentials. I didn't need to like show any of that Western stuff to, can you prove to us like that this will work? They were just Certified. like, you know, yeah, yeah. It was more like we've done this traditional route for so long and we're just kind of throwing up our hands like this may work, it may not, but it can't, it's not going to hurt. So why, why don't we try something new? But I, it's kind of, I've kind of been getting that message, especially in the, probably the last year or two. Which is, you know, that's, which is encouraging. I feel like it's all coming. Everything I think starts in the West. And then moves east in this country. Yeah. And like even when my girlfriend and I, we went out because she's been, she somehow got in touch with this author that is, he's a doctor, but he's also, you know, into a lot of holistic stuff. So we flew out there, her insurance didn't pay for anything he did. And, you know, but I think that's kind of moving more towards the, uh, the east slowly, but it's exciting if it does anyway. Well, I was always blown away how people in recovery interpreted meditation. Because for me, you know, from the studies I've done since then with laughter yoga, the neuroplasticity in the brain and like laugh, even like yoga 2.0 with Tommy Rosen and like his book, you know, how, how meditation actually can change the brain and like rewire it. And I feel like the thing that kept me sober was the, the meditation for sure. What happened beyond that was like laughter yoga took me to meditation 2.0 where the patterns when I was struggling, like I need to go back and like use again, like it's, I didn't because the laughter yoga began to switch things around my brain. It was so wild because like for the first year I was in recovery, I, I kind of, my ego was in it. And I was, I would tell people, Oh yeah, I've got like a daily meditation practice. I'd meditate daily. And I did, but you know, what? I meditated for like 10 to 15 seconds every day. I could, I would sit down and I would last maybe five to 10 seconds. But I sat down every day. I never missed a day for those five seconds. And I don't know what happened in there during that year, but something switched in there. Some gear. It could have gone on for another 10 years, but um, it switched in there. And then one day I sat for like 90 minutes. I was like, wow. And since then, I can sit for as long as I want. But I remember until then, in all those years I had known about meditation, I could never sit. I'd do it here and then. But only three, three seconds, five seconds, 10 seconds was the max I could ever sit. But it's interesting because like, I feel like it's such an important part of recovery but, you know, my dad got into AA when I was just a teen, but the way he interprets meditation is, you know, he did enough to kind of keep himself alive rather than like move on to, to like a life beyond sobriety. But like his idea of meditation is like to go fishing or work in the garden. And it's, an, it's weird. It's interesting how people really interpret that in different ways. I'll just go for a drive. That's, I think it's meditative. I don't think it's meditation. And I think that rewiring of the brain happens during meditation. Yeah, I feel like I, I would I would agree with you. It's almost like a piece of what meditation is. Yeah. But I mean, because yeah. I, I almost feel like that's like the uh, what the heck's his name? The the flow state guy, the guy who came up and started talking about being in, you know, the flow. Stephen Cockler, maybe I don't remember his name. Okay, I don't know. Muffin yeah. this one up. But yeah, the whole, yeah. you know, you get into that state where you're not really thinking anymore, but you're just you're doing it. And like, yeah, yeah. I feel like when you do something so much, you can get into that, like athletes do or whatever it is. And yeah, or, you know, when you're playing guitar, you're a guitarist. I'm a guitarist in quotes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, after you play something for so long and you're jamming and, you know, improvising, like you don't even like, wow, how did I do that? Yeah. And, yeah. And I think yeah. there's that. And I think a lot of people maybe kind of take that and say is meditation, but I'm in a traditional sense. Um, I started really meditating in jail. And I was like, 
you know, spending almost 12 hours a day locked in a room by yourself, I would start like almost like at one point I was meditating for six, seven hours by the end of the day. Wow. It it, it was insane. Like it was Jedi level, man. It was, I mean, I've honestly, to be completely fair and honest, since the moment I got out, it cut back less and less and less. And now it's again, now it's back to like, I'll miss a day here and there, maybe do a half hour, maybe do 20 minutes. But jail really got me to that point where I was like, almost like a, taking a psychedelic. It was super bizarre, super weird. And it really yeah. made me see that that space. That's the only way I can explain it to people is that space in between your thoughts and your emotions and your feelings. There's like this emptiness in there. It's not empty as in nothing, but there's no, you can't put labels on it. You can't put words on it. And that's yeah. what, that's who we are. And that's like a beautiful thing. And that's the essence of who we are. And that kind of really helped me change my whole entire life around. And yeah. you, you kind of want to show that to people, but you can't. People got to do it. And I think, you, you know, that's why they tell people start for 15 seconds. Just do 15 seconds every day. Yeah. You can do that. Yeah. Do that. And, that you know, that's a, kind of where I think it comes in. But I totally agree with you on the whole. That's not really meditation per se. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's interesting because like that was the kind of model I used for the last book that I published, which was my goal was to write three sentences a day. Most people are like, are you going to go away for three months and write and get a retreat? And like, oh, man, my goal is to do three sentences a day. If anything more, that's great. And then I, so for many times I do three sentences and then go to work, but I wrote and published that book based, you know, it, it's just like that consistency that, that you're talking about, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. It's funny. A lot of authors, because I've gotten into, I'm, I'm that person who, and you said it in that one blog on psychology today, how awareness does not mean you're cha- you can change or you do change anything. <laughs> and I love that yeah. because I was doing yeah. heroin, watching lectures by Robert Sapolsky on behaviorism. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and like I was, you know, reading books by clinical psychologists on how to be yeah. a better person. And as I'm stealing my dead brother's brother and sister's jewelry from my parents to pawn for drugs, you know, and <laughs> it's just, you know, awareness does not mean anything. And I, I just love that yeah. you kind of said that. That really hit home with me. Yeah, it's a the three A's, right? Like the mm-hmm. awareness. I don't know what the middle one is. Action and acceptance. I guess awareness, acceptance, yep. Yep. and okay. action. So yeah. But so what is, I know your dad was, he was, he struggled with alcohol. What, you know, yeah. what, where were you at? Where did, what happened with you? What did you get involved with? And kind of what made you finally realize what flipped that switch? Like, all right, I got to stop this shit. Yeah. Well, um, you know, eight artists in my family and seven addicts. And so there's addiction everywhere, you name it. And so, you know, my parents only had motorcycles until I was about seven years old. And so wow. I kind of grew up on the back of my dad's bike. And when you grow up on the back of a someone who's drunk all the time on the back of the motorcycle, man, it gives you like a sense of excitement that you can't really get in a lot of other places to try to mimic it. And so growing up in that, that home with, you know, are the police coming tonight? Is my dad dead tonight? Shootouts. Like it was kind of like, it was a lot like the show Shameless on TV mm. where it kind of grew up in that kind of kind of place and um it, it's hard to kind of maybe if i write another book it'll be called how to get off the motorcycle but like it's hard to get off that motorcycle when you're driving around from birth at you know like 100 miles an hour balls out like flying as fast as you can to like get that kind of excitement i think for the longest time i got that excitement on stage for a couple of reasons because not, not only was 
their addiction in my family, but there was depression and mental health issues and a lot of suicidal thoughts from my grandmother, who was a Holocaust survivor, being addicted to, to all kinds of prescription medications, to my father, who was suicidal a lot. And so I became the family entertainer. And I felt I, I felt that it was my role in the family if I could get up on stage and, and just in the stage, meaning a uh, the kitchen table or the living room, that stage where if someone was depressed or something was happening, I could change energy by pouring a glass of milk on my head to make people laugh or telling a joke. And so that became my role, which was like to like an energy switcher. I became, when I began to make my living, it was as a performer on stage. But the thing was, is that I got that energy of being on the motorcycle by being on stage, eventually performing in front of like 5,000 people at a time, but could never get off the stage, man. And I didn't have, I didn't have a lot of self-worth without that person I knew of being a person to change the energy on the stage. And it made it a really um, cleverly disguised addiction in a way, because um, I didn't know who I was without all that external validation. You know, I remember um, one month I was on NPR three times and was written up in the New York Times. And I still felt this sense and it would be exciting, like being on the motorcycle for about a day. And then I'd be like, man, I just feel so empty inside. And that happened so much. I was so happy. By the time my book got published, I was living in this like um, apartment in New York in East Village with like a rock star view of, of Manhattan. And um, my book came out and I'm so glad it did become a bestseller and make me a million dollars, you know, because I would have felt like, wow, I've got exactly what I wanted. And why do I still feel so empty mm. and dead inside? I was about after that. I was about to hit my complete rock bottom and have everything taken away from me. But um, but so I was addicted like to to addicts. Really, every uh, relationship I had from like the age of high school on up to um, probably till about six years ago when I when I got sober was with a sex addict, a drug addict, an alcoholic, and that was pretty heavy because I was I didn't know why I didn't know how to get off that merry-go-round, man. And if I hadn't got into recovery, it was just kind of flip a coin and get in another relationship that's just like the the ones I've been on since I was a kid. Because they took me on the motorcycle, which was great. And um, so yeah, yeah, that's so it's so interesting because I was just talking to my my mom, my sister, my girlfriend because they all watched the show Ozarks with Jason Bateman. It's a, mm. a big Netflix thing, and basically it's this family who gets caught in into the middle of the cartel and they're forced to launder money. And like the wife starts like digging it. Like she's like, I'm loving this fight for my life. And I was trying to explain to them that it's those people who go rock climbing without any safety cables. It's those, yeah. you know, that, yeah. that idiot who's walking across Niagara Falls on a wire. Like there's the adrenaline junkies. There's something about it that is so addicting to be, yeah. you know, even fighting for your life, knowing you could die driving on a motorcycle and yeah. surviving it is like, wow, that was awesome. I want to do it again. And yeah, it's amazing. I think we can find those patterns in our life anywhere, relationships, whatever it is, where it's like, yeah. why do I keep doing this over and over again? I know, as you mentioned, I, I'm aware of it. I, I think you said you wrote a book on the whole thing, and yet you still <laughs> yeah. were struggling with it. And it can just be right there in front of our face, and we can know so much intellectually, but not yeah. have any application whatsoever. And that always yeah. dumbfounded me. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because like, the the I framed the last book as a really humorous book. People said it was laugh out loud funny, but I mapped out all that awareness. Like every relationship I had up until the age of 30, like was in that book. And with that awareness, I still was ready to get into another relationship, just like the one from my book. 
And so when things changed and I was like, you know what, I kind of want to go back and tell some of these stories in a really raw way, a really true way. And when I gave that to my agent, she was just like, I, I can't sell this. What happened to the funny? Like what happened to the entertaining? I was like, I don't, this is what happened. There is, it wasn't funny and entertaining. It was like sucks. And she was <laughs> like, nothing that. funny about it. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. That's, you know, I guess we have to laugh, but even like when you said your life was kind of like that, um, the TV show, what, what is it? Shameless. Yeah. Shame, shameless, yeah. yeah. I'm, yeah, I almost laughed. I'm like, wait, that's not funny at all, actually. <laughs> I, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. It's like so, so many of us go, you know, even my mom and sister, we were all kind of laughing about when I was in the middle of my addiction at like it's worse and the stupid lies I was coming up with. And you know, we were all laughing about it. And I guess that's a good thing. But it's like, man, I get sick to my stomach sometimes thinking about being at that stage and alone and isolated and you hate yourself and you're like, yeah. should I even keep living? And yeah. it's just, it's, it's a, so many people are in that and stuck in that. And I want to, yeah. I want to absolutely get into this laughter yoga thing because I've told, I've done three podcasts since I've talked to you on the, actually probably three or four. Yeah. Three or four podcasts since I've last yeah, yeah. talked to you. You've been busy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, three people, I, I, you came up somehow, like something about yoga and whatever you came up and I yeah. brought you up. I'm doing this podcast with this guy. Uh, he does laughter yoga. And they're like, what is that? And, you know, I kind of explain <laughs> yeah. it to him and they're like, oh, that is awesome. I got to check it out. So yeah. I've passed along your name, but you know, I want to know, I want to know more about it. How did you even get into that to begin with and where it comes from? You know, I know you've done some kind of your own research on it and let's hear about it. Yeah. Well, it's the only type of yoga where there's no traditional poses. And it's only kind of laughter that's done without comedy jokes or humor. It's totally unconditional laughter. So conditional laughter is based on these jokes we may or may not think is funny. And so I kind of fell into it um, when my lung collapsed three years ago. My lung collapse was also the total collapse of my life too. And during the next year, it took a couple of years for me to find laugh yoga. But that year I went into like a self period of very long self-isolation because just the physical part of having my lung collapse and having those surgeries, I didn't feel like being around people for a while. I felt like I had the flu and I just, my self-esteem was down, my self-confidence. I watched TV a lot. I felt like, you know, I didn't feel like my best self. So it took about a year for me to want to be social again. But the surgeon, when I was leaving the hospital, said that laughter would help my lung heal. And um, during that year, it actually hurt to laugh. And I'd watch comedies on TV and you know, there's not a lot of laughter that happens during a, even a comedy sh TV show, maybe bursts of one or two seconds, but it would hurt because it would make my lung expand really, really far. And so at the end of that, that year, I was ready to be social. I Googled laughter in my hometown and ended up in a really expensive improv comedy class. Thought I would love it because I love whose line it is anyway. And um, it felt like a comedy competition. I got all this anxiety and I dropped out after three classes because I just you had to say quick things. You had to say fast things. You had to be clever and I can write clever things, but it takes a while. And I can think kind of clever, but it, it's a process for me. I'm not like sick of it right and say it right now. Yeah, improv's um, a totally different, totally different yeah, beast. Totally different. Yeah. And what I realized too was that making other people laugh wasn't what the doctor meant by making myself laugh and have that laughter. So I Googled laughter again and I ended up on this YouTube video of this dude called the laughing yogi. If you've ever seen a man, it will turn it will turn anybody off to like uh, laughter yoga at all he's not connected to laughter yoga but it's just this crazy indian dude who um 
And actually, he he works in he does laughter therapy in addiction centers. And I, I'm he's on my list to talk to. But um, it's really bizarre. And I, what I realized was like video clips of people laughing can can make it made me feel outside my comfort zone. And so eventually, I went down the wormhole of YouTube, found some laughter yoga videos, and I said, I wonder if they offer that here. And so I went to the first session, and um, within the first ten minutes, for one, the doctor was right. We. The la- we ended up laughing for about 50 minutes during that first session, laughing the whole time. And I could feel oxygen being pushed into my lung and actually healing part of my body. But I felt this really odd uh, connection to everyone in the room. And my year-long isolation like vanished within 10 minutes. Couldn't explain it. I'd eventually figure out what was going on like, chemical-wise in my body to cause that to happen. But I- it was offered by a counselor for free. I took six sessions. She said she was going to quit doing it. And so um, she said, if you want more of it, you're going to have to get trained yourself. And so I got trained. It was like a, a three-day training here in Richmond, Virginia, where I live. I debated on whether I wanted to actually like offer sessions. I was like, I want more of this, so I'm going to offer sessions. So as an artist, I set it up as an experiment. And so um, I rented a place for a full year. I decided I would commit to a year every Friday and offer sessions. And for my experiment, one, I wouldn't tell people it was me doing it because I, I didn't want to entertain people. Um, it, here in my hometown, if I, they find out I'm doing a reading or something like, you know, 500 people show up. So I didn't want that to happen too. Um, I, um, would say yes to anybody who wanted it. Absolutely everybody. And so some weeks during that full year, I was doing it three, four times a week. An experiment for me was just to see at the end of the year, if I wanted to do it again and two, like, what would it bring in my life? I had no idea. And the third thing is I would offer it for free as a service work to my community because going through recovery, I, I knew that how important service work was. It go, kind of goes out into the world as a uh, like a prayer and it comes back as a blessing. I knew I would be blessed in some way, but I wasn't doing it for that reason. I was like, I just want to provide this. And so at the end of the year, I ended up working with about uh, 10,000 people. It didn't. It wouldn't have mattered if three people showed up. My experiment was going to continue no matter what. I ended up doing 10 laughter flash mobs where I took a groups of the people that came to my club and we would go out in the public where it was inappropriate to laugh. We would laugh for five minutes and then disperse <laughs> and leave. So we went to like an art opening. We went to a theater. We went to Lowe's. We went to all these places. We went to a library. We were supposed to be quiet. We did this <laughs> laugh. And it was just for me to like, I think I'm like a I have, I'm like an, a scientist trapped in an artist's life. I love to like see how things affect my life and if I can change them and then alter them in some way. I also did this thing in a couple storefront windows called Laughing Darshan, where people could make appointments for me during a week and sit with me for across from me. And they would come in for the during their appointment of time. They would sit across from me. We wouldn't talk. We would laugh for a minute. We would look at each other for a minute and then they would leave. Mm. And so that was another, I, I took a stand-up comedy class during that time. And then I ended up setting up regular sessions at for the Department of Veterans Affairs and also at a childhood cancer center. At the end of the year, the doctor who created it called me from India, found out what I was doing and flew me out to India and said, I want to train you personally and um, come and hang out with me for the month in India. I was like, well, I don't even know if I, it's the end of my year. I don't even know if I want to keep doing this because <laughs> by that time I had amassed this group of like, loyalist to laughter yoga the thing is is like only one in 20 people that tries it ever comes back because it's just so weird and bizarre but mm. everyone that comes back they'll come to every session so i had amassed these followers who were like what are you doing at the end of the year what are you doing i was like i don't know that's not why i'm doing this i'm just trying to stay really present you know i'm just taking the next step They're like we hope you continue i was like i don't know what i'll do so when i went to india and got trained by the doctor and just as an aside 
he created it in 1995 because he found that he was getting better results when he could get his patients to laugh for more than 10 minutes than he was with traditional medicine. And so he started a joke club in 1995 with his wife and a couple of friends in a park in India telling jokes, thinking that would encourage that kind of healthy laughter. It didn't work because people just don't laugh out loud for long enough at jokes. And when you hear the same joke twice, you definitely don't laugh. And that's when he came up with this idea of unconditional laughter, creating laughter exercises, simulated laughter leads to, to real laughter and, and kind of affects our body. And so when I came back after that year, I shut down my weekly sessions and went right into recovery and um, addiction centers. And it was really cool because they welcomed me in. And one center in particular, it was judge mandated that the people coming in had to take 20 sessions from me in addition to like being in groups and doing this thing every day that they did um, before they could get out of there. So it was cool to have this, this group of addicts across the spectrum who I worked with because I really felt like I was in my element. That's kind of like feel at home working with that, you know, people like my family, like myself who kind of struggle with that. And it was just really cool in my scientific mind to see how that could really maybe affect like relapse or maybe affect something in the brain and help it rewire. So that's, that's the story of laughter yoga. Yeah. It's, it's amazing, man. It's just so fun. I mean, every time I've watched any video with it, you know, just you, you're on the news with one lady and I'm just, you can't help but start laughing. Yeah. And, you know, and I think you, you mentioned like just some people, come in and just take life so serious and don't get into it and it makes them uncomfortable and it got me thinking as I was kind of pondering this whole us sitting down and talking really got me thinking a lot about how so much so many of us walk around and we care so much so much about what other people think about what we're doing how we're doing it and we ruin so many amazing things in our lives because of that yeah yeah and you know it's just it's i mean it's great i love this whole this whole concept is absolutely dumbfounding to me and i don't know how i've never heard of it but yeah it is just it's it's fascinating i had uh yeah she wasn't obviously laughter yoga but when i was in rehab we had this lady who'd come in it was there it's blues therapy music okay and she comes in and kind of teaches music but she had that crazy centric personality i yeah. just didn't give an f she was totally out there, wacky, and I just loved it. And eventually, the first time I went to her group, there was three of us. And then eventually, I got probably, I was like, you guys got to come check this out because it's great. You got to come check it mm-hmm. out. And so eventually, there was probably like 20 of us in the group. Wow, you know, she wow, came wow. like once yeah. a week. And it was it was just a blast to have that kind of personality and that that laughing. And I just remember reading kind of so much throughout over the years about how great laughter is and how so many people have cured quote unquote incurable diseases through vitamin C and laughter. Yeah. Right. And it's just, you know, it's amazing. And I mean, what, what, what have you found about laughter as far as neuroplasticity and how it helps and rewires and all that other jazz? Yeah. Well, the the other interesting thing is because it's, it's not aligned politically or religiously or anything with, with the, or, psychologically. And so even when uh, the doctor created these chants, instead of OM, it's like you just do the vowels, A-E-I-O-U. And that makes it like flat or long, like it's not connected to any kind of OM chanting or any religion. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, especially in recovery centers, it's just so freaking serious in there. And a, a lot of addicts are just like, and myself included, have really negative memories of laughter. Like it was easier for me to 
to laugh when the police came to our door in the middle of the night and to like mm. really dig into my feelings. It was easier for me to laugh when my dad was like, didn't come home or was passed out in the backyard than to like really get into those feelings. And so the thing is with laugh yoga, we don't care about any of that shit. Like, it's like, this is laugh. We, I don't care. We, and so I, you know, a lot of in, in those, in the recovery centers, a lot of people are, are so used to like, Oh, I guess I got to talk about this. But we really don't. The laughter kind of gets in there and punches things and it just <laughs> punches it out eventually. You know, I think that's the magic of bringing that oxygen to lungs. But I, I think also too, is because the increase in what they call the tidal volume in the lungs, it, you know, we're used to breathing like maybe two fingers a day goes in and out. If we're sitting at our desk, even right now, it's like, in and out, in and, out. and when we do laugh yoga, it was up to five. And so I think about these like two fingerfuls of oxygen going in and out. And there must be some down here. If you haven't done laugh yoga, that's connected to like our childhood and all kinds of messy things. It's just waiting down there. Mm. If we don't get it out, it's just like the laugh yoga is going to like push it out. And so I think this is all these esoteric ways of like why, you know, it brings a sense of clarity and connection, but also it's like chemically and all the studies show that like it's, creating this, this kind of like cocktail of chemicals in the body that help us feel connected. And from what I know, and from what I've read, it's like the opposite of addiction is connection. And that connection can be disarming for some people who are only used to laughing when they're using, they're only used to like laughing at negative things. And so it can be a real kind of, it makes people feel kind of uncomfortable and freaky unless they do it long enough to get past that hump to the tipping point where it's like, now it's begin, been beginning to change some things. And I remember probably the first year I started, even the first year, I was like, I kind of want to get on the motorcycle. Where, where's a motorcycle? I need to get on it now. And, you know, dude, like it's, it's gone. Like, I don't know if it'll come back. I mean, I know enough about addiction to know that like I, you know, it could, it's probably still there a lifetime, but I do know that they say that like addiction is a progressive disease, but what they don't often emphasize is recovery is progressive. Mm. And, you know, and, and it can increase and snowball and begin to change things that we can't even imagine. So I think that's like one of the coolest things about it. And so for me, once I began, and obviously I don't think it was just lap yoga, it was including like going to meetings all the time and like a regular meditation practice and prayer and like reading a lot of shit and like doing a lot of kind of work on myself it was um my anxiety went away my my worry went away and just these things that had always plagued me just they vanished i don't know it, and it wasn't a thing where i sat down with a therapist and she was like where you know let's do these exercises so you can get rid of your anxiety you know hmm. count to 10 it just kind of the lap yoga just made it vanish like one day i woke up as a different person that's the only way i can explain it i wish there was enough people doing it out there like me to experience lap yoga so we could say like yeah, this across the board helps. But when it's just one person, who knows why it happens, you know? But again, like why in recovery does it take like someone going through like 17 treatment centers and relapsing yeah. 20 times to like suddenly stop using? And then one person does it one time and they're, they're clean forever, you know? Yeah, it's I mean, that, that was pretty much well my story. I, th I, I mean, I tried getting clean on my own at my parents' house and that lasted like three weeks, but I went in, I've done one run so far and that's been it. Oh man. But it's just, yeah, nice. it's, it's just, it's so bizarre because you don't, that's what I always tell people. Like you can never, no matter if somebody's done it 20 times, I mean, that 21st time could be their moment and yeah. there's no explanation. And this is why I think there's so many different debates going on in the 
addiction and treatment world because 12 step 12 step didn't work at all for me aa i was like no i don't i don't want none of this it's too dogmatic it reminds me too much of church i I can't do it and and i I tried the sponsor for a little bit but um it didn't work for me but i know a lot of people change their life and yeah you know vice versa i mean just people have done so many different things and the way you're making it sound like that laughter yoga was kind of the icing on the cake for you that kind of made everything come together and i mean for me it was it's doing what i'm doing starting my own business around sharing people's stories and recovery and just struggles with mental health and we all have our own way and i think that's what makes it so difficult to there's just no here take this and you'll be good yeah (laughs) right it's just so different for everybody and it's kind of like frustrating because then you find people who try to force their opinions of recovery like no this worked for me this will work for you do it do it <laughs> yeah. this way exactly that's, that's the whole world right yeah <laughs> oh my gosh it just drives me nuts and we're just kind of have to really learn to develop space for people to kind of do their own thing i think that's really one of the most important things and i don't know i'm gonna have yeah. to look i'm gonna have to look more into the laughter yoga thing because only only three days and you were a certified instructor huh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. The, the, cool, the cool thing about the doctor, he believes in spreading world peace through laughter. So he wanted it's a really he wanted to make it a really small buy in like three days. And like, you know, I think it was like 300 bucks and to go out there and start offering it because mm-hmm. he didn't want it to make it like regular yoga where it's like six month to a year training, three to five thousand dollars. And then like all this like kind of crap you have to deal with, you know. So, yeah. Oh, like everything else, it becomes more than what it should be anyway. I guess we'll leave it at that. But yeah, it's so interesting how you talked about, you mentioned it, I'm a firm believer of it. It's not, it's the lack of connection that everybody is really trying to, you know, get rid of. And I always say you find it in people, people just don't use drugs for it. Some people use exercise. Some people use Netflix. Yeah, some people man. use shopping. Yeah. Like the list goes yeah. on of what yeah. we use to escape. Unfortunately, people who use drugs to escape, I mean, you kind of, you, you go down a different kind of path <laughs> to say to say the least but <laughs> yeah yeah right right you know it's just amazing and i love i just love the idea because i think of all the times where i've done that laughing that deep laughter where yeah. snot's coming out and your yeah. tears are coming down and you want to stop laughing because it hurts but just how <laughs> yeah. how great you feel physically yeah. mentally spiritually you just feel lighter I think it just, it's such an awesome concept. I totally, I totally yeah. dig it slash totally dig cool, it. Cool. Totally. And the benefit and just to, to hark on the benefits a little bit, like people that came during those every Friday for that year lost weight. Cause after 10 minutes, it's aerobic. You're taking about 1200 mm-hmm. steps and burning about 500 calories just from laughing. So even the people that had bad knees or backs or came in a wheelchair lost weight, if they came to over 15 sessions, you know, I think that's kind of cool. It's a boost to the moon immune system. Like, kind of a booster shot to the immune system. So if I was still on the motorcycle and I, I love Morgan Spurlock, he did that supersize me where he ate McDonald's yep. for like a year and almost died. And then, yep. so anyway, if I, if I was still on the motorcycle, I guarantee you, I would go to Wuhan, China at this point in my life in the, in the midst of the infection of COVID and be like, I'm pretty sure that laughter yoga kit is strong enough and smart enough to reject anything, any kind of respiratory illness that you're going to throw my way. But I'm, you know, that's just kind of, that's kind of my old self talking. Like, but I, I would have done that already, man. I would have like taken a camera over there and filmed myself. And like, I'm like, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is with laughter yoga. So let's do it. Yeah. Oh man. 
I do. I mean, you I've, again, you know, I've read those stories. I'm trying to think. My uncle has a disease, and I always forget how to pronounce it. It's where like your your spine infuses straight up ankylosis, wow. spondylitis, or okay. something. Yeah, I'm totally butchering that name. But I remember I was reading. I don't know. It might have been an Alan Watts book or something. No, it had to have been a newer book than that. I don't know. It was one of those kind of Eastern, Western mixed books. And yeah. he talked about how, you know, like vitamin, this guy cured his incurable disease with a sh- huge shots of vitamin C every day. Oh, that was Norman Cousins. Yeah. Was that who it was? Okay. Yeah. And yeah, then yeah. watching yeah. like and Three laughter. Stooges. Yeah. And laughing. Yeah yeah. 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 His friend ran the, um, the, wait, what's that show? Um, it was at kind of the first uh, show that on TV where it was, um, they would do like um, the Ashton Kutcher thing, punked. It was, oh, Hidden Camera. Who's Hidden Camera? Oh, but his um, friend was, it, his camera, yeah, Candid Camera. Candid Camera, so yeah. his best friend was the host and the host sent him all the tapes from Hollywood, the Marx Brothers tapes, but also, also all the, the tapes of Candid Camera. And he just okay. sat in his hotel room and drank vitamin C and watched them. He was cured. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and, and that stuff's it, it dumbfounds me. You know, it's crazy yeah. to think, you know, how our connected our minds and bodies really are and you yeah. know, how just being a- anxious and depressed and how that affects your actual health. And it's, yeah, it's it's bizarre, man, because I'm you know, when you, you said it about yourself, like you're like a scientist in an artist body. And I like I have a huge, you know, I use my I love my left side of the brain just as much as my right. And yeah, you know, I love reading about quantum physics, at least in layman's terms. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know a dick about math, but uh, <laughs> you know, I just lo- you know that stuff fascinates me as well, and I'm very, you know, yeah. into you know psychology and stuff like. That. I love reading about science, and but I'm very creative too. I need to be creative, or else I'm gonna freak out and lose my mind. Yeah, yeah. But you know, there's just, it just I guess where I'm going with this, it just fascinates me reading a lot over the years how there's just things we can't really explain that ha- that happen yeah, that we don't right. really have science for and it just yeah. makes me scratch my head sometimes. Yeah, I hear you, man. But yeah, how how do people get a hold of you? I guess any last words from you, any advice, you know, if somebody is like I said, I've had three people get really interested out of like four or five people I've told about you. So how do people kind of, you know, get involved with this if they were looking for it? Yeah. So my website is I laugh for life. Like laugh for life is it, I just, when uh, like COVID hit, I started to want to take laughter yoga on like on a bigger scale. And so laugh for life is my business, but I laugh for life is, is the website is kind of what I'm moving into now to work with like larger groups and stuff like that. But I, I can send you all that information as yeah. well. Yeah. That'd be awesome. It's not the website's not quite finished. It'll be a YouTube channel and a, also a TikTok channel for just specifically laughter yoga exercise where people can like go and do it at home. It's like an exercise okay. and like they can watch all the exercises. So that's kind of what's missing in the community right now is like that online presence. So it's going to kind of fill that gap. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's going to be sweet. I can't wait to uh, scope some of it out because I will be, yeah. I will be p- pushing your your name around and the whole laughter yoga. Cause cool. I think it's fascinating, man. And I'm uh, greatly appreciative of your time and coming. Yeah, man. And... Yeah. It was really good to talk to you. I'm glad we got a chance to do it. Yeah. We'll have to do it again. Cause like I said, I, I could easily talk to you for many more hours. So cool. hopefully right. you're, you're good, willing man. to do that. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So, all right. Slash. Thanks very much, man. I'll be in touch. Okay, man. All right. All right see you. Bye. All right. Bye.